Hey, Church on the Hill, can you believe it's 2018 already? I hope you're doing good with your 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm so excited about today's message. We've been working on it all week, and Pastor Jonathan, I'm getting closer to presenting it to you. It's going to be amazing. I'm away out of town with my family, just getting closer to each other and getting closer to the Lord. I pray that this year is going to be the best year of your life. Hey, let's give Pastor Jonathan a hand as he comes and brings the word. Come on, come on. Can we give it up for Pastor Adam all the way from Denver, Colorado? Come on, taking time out of his vacation to, to welcome us. And, and man, it is 2018, and we are seven days into it. And let me tell you something. Collectively across the room, I can tell that you're already looking better. It's about, the room feels lighter. Your resolution to lose weight, I can tell, is already working. It's that or the fasting. It's one of those two things where your skin's already looking better, your smile's brighter. I'm loving it, man. 2018 has been a good year so far for the Pena household. The, the latter part of, of 2017 was rough. I lost both of my grandfathers in the last quarter of the year. My mom's dad passed, and then on, on Christmas Day, my, uh, my, my dad's father passed. And so 20, the end of 2017 was crazy. But just six days into 2018, we, we celebrated a milestone in the Pena household, and that's 11 years of marriage for my wife, Myrna, and I. We celebrated 11 years. There we are. That's us. That was, that was 11 years ago in one day. And so that's Pastor Adam and Miss Jamie. And, and, uh, and so it's been 11 years of marriage for, for my wife and I. And it's been, it's been awesome. We've had our ups and we have most definitely have our downs. And as anybody in marriage knows that it's, if you only lived on the ups, then you wouldn't appreciate them as much, you know. It's so so that the bitter ain't as sweet or the sweet ain't as sweet without the bitter. And so we've had our ups and our downs. But I can say with, with full confidence that in the 11 years that we have been married, the one thing that hasn't wavered is our devotion to each other, our dedication to each other and our de- dedication to the Lord. My eyes have not wandered to another person, to another woman. I haven't put myself in a compromising situation. And me and my wife have a trust that's there. She's my best friend. She's the, she's the mother of my children. She's my partner in ministry. And together, we have a lot of fun together. we got two beautiful kids, Anaya and Uzziah, who are eight and five years old. And they're, they're so awesome. They're growing up loving the Lord. And, and it's so cool just to, to celebrate 11 years of marriage. I didn't think that that would happen just like Man, as you think, just time flies by. 365 days go by so quick. And as I stand here before you saying 11 years of marriage, I would never have thought that 11 years would go by so fast. Well, as we jump in today's word, the, the title of today's message is called Dedicated. Everybody say Dedicated. And as we talked about last week's pastor, I talked about a new you and establishing a new you in 2018 and what that looks like and how we have to get rid of some of the old stuff to make room for some of the new things. And that was a real challenging word for me as, as coming into a new year, letting go of some of the things that have been really comfortable for me and letting go of those things and trusting that God will replace them with something that is much better is, is sometimes a very scary, scary thing to do. And I believe part of, of, of letting those things go and, and really helping with that process is being totally dedicated to the Lord, fully dedicated to the Lord. And our key scripture for today is found in 2 Corinthians ver, uh, chapter 8, verse 5. And, and this is what it says right here. It says, best of all, they went beyond our highest hopes for their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord. Let me give you a little background of what's happening here. In verses 1 through 4, Paul is writing a letter. And he's writing about the Macedonians, the Christians in Macedonia. 
And they're, take up, uh, they're taking up an offering for the Christians in Jerusalem. Now, the Macedonians had just come out of some persecution. They had just come out of some, some really, really, really troublesome times. And they're still recovering financially from these things. And as Paul's writing, he's saying, man, they gave out of a cheerful heart and not because of my nagging. How many of you guys have ever done something because of the nagging, right? You, you've been motivated by the nya that happens in the background. And Paul writes that in there. He's so proud to write that, that they didn't give based on my nagging, but they gave out of a cheerful heart. In the midst of all of those things, it says that their first action was to dedicate themselves to the Lord. In the midst of their trouble, in the midst of, of their pain, they saw tremendous joy come out of that. A lot of times what happens is that we say, Lord, I can't give these things or I can't go any further because of the pain in the midst of that. I can't. There's nothing to give from. And he's saying, man, if we begin to align ourselves and dedicate ourselves to the Lord, then, man, as we give that, as we see as the Lord would see, then as we give, it wouldn't be painful, whether it be joy in the midst of all of that. You know, there's something that drives us each and every morning. There's something that wakes us up. For me, it's my kids. They wake me up every morning earlier than I need. But there's something that drives us, a job, a house, money, a relationship. There's something that drives us. There's something that, thing that is every morning to get better, to go further, to keep going. There's something that is, that is moving us. And see, a lot of times we begin to dedicate who we are to that goal and who we are to that thing. If, if we want 2018 to be any different than 2017, we have to begin to shift our focus and come to, into alignment with what God has for us. We have to begin to say, Lord, all right, I need to align myself with who you are. I need to, I need to bring myself into, into full dedication of who you are so that we can get something together. We can get something new. And, and a lot of times we get dedication mixed up with perfection. And dedication is not perfection. Dedication is simply commitment. The very definition of dedication is this right here. It is simply being committed to a purpose. We just simply need to be committed to a purpose. That God, my purpose this year, I'm committing myself to go after you. God, this year, I'm committing myself to trust you more in my finances. God, this year, I'm trusting you more to, to dedicate myself and trust you more in my marriage. Whatever it may be, if we want 2018 to be any different than 2017, then we have to begin to align ourselves with the calling and the willing and the purposes of the Lord and go after him with everything that we got in an alignment with him through our dedication. As we continue reading here, we, we see in Acts chapter 6 that, that the, the disciples are together and the church is growing in Acts chapter 6. It's exploding. It's booming. And they've got a lot of problems that come with that. And we were here in, in, in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them were complaining against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It is not right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. It says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you, who are to be full of spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. In verse 5, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread 
And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. See, what was happening here is they were experiencing, they were experiencing great growth. I mean, they had an explosion in the church. And because of this, there were many problems that were coming along with it. How many of you have ever dealt with people and all of a sudden they just begin to bring their problems, right? And so they're dealing with this very situation. There's lots of people coming. There's growth and it's amazing and people are getting saved. But at the same time, man, they're bringing all their problems. And so the 12 men, the 12 disciples are doing their best to to have counseling appointments. And they're doing their best to meet with people and pray with people. And and they're, they're doing their best to try to make sure the widows are getting fed and all these things. And they're dropping the ball on it. They're missing the mark. And the people begin to complain that, that, that the Hebraic Jews are, are, are getting more attention than the Hellenistic Jews. And, and so they're complaining about it. So the disciples get together and say, we need to fix this. We need to bring seven people in who can help us. And we need people that are what full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And so instead of the 12 disciples choosing these people, they went, they went to the church themselves and say, hey, we want you to give us seven people whom you have chosen whom you live life with, whom you know are full of the Holy Spirit, whom you have seen grow up. We want you to choose seven of those people and present them to us, and we'll move forward. See, as I was preparing this and I was reading about this, I read about that they chose men that were full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. I began to wonder if I myself would be picked. I put myself in that situation. As the church on the hill was exploding and growing and we needed help. And they said, we need to pick seven people. I wonder if myself, if I would have been picked. There was a spot in my life. Right after I had had Anaya, our first child. I had just graduated Bible school. My professional career was starting to, to take off a little bit. And I was at a crossroads. And a good friend of mine invited me to come on a fishing trip. And he said, man, we're going to go to the boundary waters of Minnesota, and it's going to be the greatest thing of your life. He said, we're going to eat fish every day that we catch right out of the lake. I was like, all right, cool. I like fish a little bit. He's like, and then, and then we'll drink water straight out of the lakes. It's pristine. It's beautiful. It's clear. I said, oh, okay, I like water. And he says, and, and we're going to fish seven days. And I was like, man, I really like fishing. Okay, I'm, I'm good with that. How many of you guys have ever looked at a brochure and bought in based on the brochure, right? So he tells me, this, this is not even close to what the brochure said. I bought into the brochure, right? And so, so he tells me, well, we have to pack everything in and everything out. And I'm thinking, well, I'm a light packer. No problem, you know? And so I get there, get to his house, fly up to Minnesota. We get there, and we're preparing to leave. And our seven-day trip has dwindled down to five days because of weather. And, and I was a little bummed about it, and we all were. And so as we're sitting there preparing, I begin to see all of these packs. I'm like, why is there so many packs? He's like, well, you got to bring in food, you know, you know certain food, and, and we got to bring in mattresses and tents. And all this, I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, okay. So we ended up with about eight packs, three guys and two canoes. And so I'm thinking, oh, you know, this won't be a big deal. Just put everything in a canoe, and we'll paddle where we need to go, and we'll get out, and, and we'll have a good time. Well, the thing is, there's, these, there's this word that I've learned to hate that I don't even know existed, and it's called portage, Right? And some of you have no idea what that means, and that's okay, because we're going to learn today. Portage is when you come up to, a, to a, like a little island, and you have to get to the other side. Your stuff has to get to the other side with you. And so you carry your canoe, you carry your packs, and you carry everything you got across this little island to the next lake, and you put everything back in, and you paddle some more to the next portage. We had seven portages that we had to make. There was parts of my body I didn't even know existed, there was, and they, they hurt. The only way I know they, they were there is because they hurt. And I'm sitting on this trip, 
And we get there, and it took us all day to get to where we were. And, and I kept saying, why not fish here? Why not fish here? We kept passing great lakes, and they kept saying, oh, we'll hit this one on Wednesday. I was like, well, why not today? Let's just switch it all around. Let's just stay here. And we finally made it to our spot. And we get there, and, and I was praying. You know, we, we had no cell reception. I was like, Lord, I want to hear from you. God, I want to hear from you. I was at a crossroads, and I was graduating Bible school, and, and like I said, my professional career was, was starting to get some traction, and I was like, Lord, I need to hear from you. I don't know what to do. And as I began to go on that trip, first day, we get there, and, and I just laid on a rock because every bit of me hurt, and, and, and because we wanted to pack light, we didn't bring an air mattress pump or nothing, so we had to blow it up, and so I'm, man, I, I'm lightheaded, I'm like, oh my gosh, we've never done drugs before, but that's probably what they feel like, and so... I was like, this is, not, this is not a good thing. And I lay, I lay down in this tent, and I'm like, all right, Lord, here we go. I'm going to hear from you. It's going to be great. Wake up the next morning, and it's pouring rain. I'm like, this is the worst. This is terrible. And they're like, let's go fish. I'm like, no, it's raining, you know? And so, man, it, it, was, a, it was a horrible time in retrospect. I look at it. I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that ever again. And it was the last day, and I was, I was, I was frustrated at the Lord because I hadn't heard from him. All I heard from him is you're selfish. I was like, Lord, I don't want to hear those things. Why don't you tell me? You could have told me that at home. You know, and so I was like, why you got to bring me out to the woods and make me suffer? Tell me I'm selfish. Thank you. So it was the last day, and I'm sitting there, and we're getting chewed up by mosquitoes. They call Minnesota the, thousand, the place of a thousand lakes or whatever, or 10,000 lakes. And, and I never thought to equate mosquitoes with all of that water. And mosquitoes would literally hang around. You'd spray, you'd spray the off, and they would hover at a, at a certain distance. And then as the deep wore off, they'd just get closer. And then they'd all just come and just chew on you. And so I'm so frustrated, and we're, we're kind of packing up. And I told my buddy, I said, hey, I want to go. I just want to go fish. He's like, go fish on that rock right out there. And so it was right across my wrist. So I paddled the canoe out there, and I get out there. I'm standing on this little on this rock that's kind of peeking out the lake. And, and it's beautiful. It's pristine. The, 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 the lake is mirroring the sky. It's gorgeous. As I'm fishing, I'm praying, I'm, you know, smacking mosquitoes and all this stuff. And I'm praying, like, Lord, I really wanted to hear from you. And I'm a little disappointed that I ain't getting nothing from you. And I just begin to just to just really vent to the Lord. It's like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm displeased with this. Lord, I was really hoping to hear from you. You know, like, this is terrible. You know, and so I don't like this. And as I was standing there, man, very, very clearly, I heard the Lord speak. And I almost felt bad for questioning why he didn't speak. Have you ever done that? I was like, okay, I'm sorry. You know? And I'm saying that I heard the Lord speak. You need to fully dedicate yourself to Church on the Hill. And I said, okay, that's what I'll do. Now, Church on the Hill wasn't as it is now. Church on the Hill, when, when, when that word came, was three small groups meeting in Pastor Adam's living room. And so when I dedicated myself to Church on the Hill, there wasn't much to dedicate myself to. It was like, Lord, uh, Pastor, I'll show up an hour early for small group and sweep or, you know, heat up pizza rolls or whatever you need me to do, you know. But I'm supposed to do that. And so... Uh, he said, all right, let's do it. From that moment on, man, the Lord started a journey. Man, we saw an explosion in the church. We saw growth like we hadn't seen before. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 6. As you keep reading, it says in verse 7, So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. See, the priests that were saved were the most critical of the Christian movement. They knew these people. These weren't the, the wealthy priests. These were the common priests. They knew the people. 
You were sitting in church and you're falling asleep or, or you're drawing stuff on the back. They knew you. They're the ones that come back in here. Pop, pop. It hits you. Have you ever been whipped by a priest before? That's me, man. I grew up in Baptist church. I was getting rebuked by deacons all the time. And so that's these people. They knew. They knew these seven men. And they knew the disciples. The Bible says that, that many priests were saved. And see, the priests getting saved legitimized the movement that was happening. It solidified those people that they had chosen, and, and it gave them credibility. See, this was a major thing that was happening, and the explosion and the growth happened once people dedicated themselves to the Lord, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. See, there's a lot of people who want to teach, but there aren't many people who are willing to deal with the people. There's a lot of people who want to stand up on the platform and present, but there's not many people who want to dig down in the weeds and get real with it. And these seven men did just that. Guys, if we want to fully dedicate ourselves to the Lord, it's not about being perfect, not even close. It's about being committed to the cause. And no matter what, saying, look, I'm dedicated. There was many times where I looked up and said, oh, my gosh, all my friends that graduated Bible school have taken big churches, and Church on the Hill has grown. Yes, we've doubled. We're six small groups now. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's great growth, six small groups. But, you know, you know, I was like, Lord, I feel like I'm called to more. And I would talk to Pastor Adam and say, just be faithful, son. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. See, a lot of times we try to move to the next hottest thing. The Lord say, hey, man, I need you to bloom where you're planted. I need you to be right here, man. I'll put you. There's three things that I believe that hold us back from total dedication, from full dedication. This is the first thing I wrote down right here. What holds us back from full dedication? Number one is your rights, our rights. Your right to be angry. Your right to be bitter. Your right to be hurt. Your right to be apprehensive. Your right to earn money. Your right to, to do whatever it is. But I believe our rights Hold us back sometimes. See, a few years ago, this isn't just something that I put down on paper. It's something that I've lived out. A few years ago, my mom came to me, and she said, hey, son, I need to, I need to tell you something. She didn't call me son. She goes, mijito, I need to tell you something. It means my son. She said, I need to tell you something that happened to me when I was younger. And I said, all right, mom, what you need? She says, you might get mad. And I said, I'll kill him. And she said, no. See, I, I, I want to tell you where my journey was taking me and what I was set up for. And I said, okay, mom, tell me. And she began to share with me that her, that, that her lineage, her grandmother and her father were, were, were mediums, so to speak, psychics almost. And that she was next in line, chosen as a child to be that. And she had some ritualistic things done to her that, that was preparing her to do that. And in high school, she met my dad, and my dad was the son of a Mennonite pastor. And they got married, uh, two unlikely worlds converging together. And they got married, and they had me, and, and you know, going to church and doing those things. I'm sitting here about seven years ago, not knowing any of this happened, and looking at my mom, saying, well, that's so crazy. And she began to share some details with me, and I was like, just blown away. And I said, Mom, how do you feel? What do you, she says, I, I think I'm okay. I'm good. She's like, I've, I've had a lot of time to process it. Had a lot of time to think about it. I'm good, Mikito. I love you. I just wanted to let you know where I'm at. A few months later, we're sitting at, in a church service at the Methodist where we used to meet. And my mom, she begins to, in worship, as we're singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. 
She began to, as we began to worship in that song, she turned around and she grabbed me. And she says, I need you to pray with me. I said, all right, let's go to the back. And we went to the back. And she looked at me and she says, Mijito, I don't feel like I can sing that song fully. For I once was lost, but now I've been found. I was blind, but now I see. She says, I don't feel like I can sing that song. And trusting me as a pastor, not only as her son, but as a pastor, she says, would you pray for me? I said, I'll pray for you. And as I began to lay my hands on my mom, word of knowledge came to me. And I said, you're still holding on to some bitterness. And you need to say, man, freedom, we can't let it go. And in that moment, man, freedom became pouring out of my mom. A freedom that, that I hadn't seen in years, that I never even knew. See, my mom struggled with depression for years. And let me tell you something, in that moment, depression gone. My mom would struggle with, 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 with just getting in herself, and all of a sudden, man, a memory would trigger something. I would say, what's wrong? She said, I don't know. And man, gone. Let me tell you, some health issues disappeared, all sorts of stuff. The moment that she forfeited her right to be angry, her right to be bitter, she was valid in all of those things. The moment she let that go, the Lord said, I can replace that with joy. I can replace that with happiness. I can replace that with forgiveness. And she began to trade all of that. For everything that the Lord had. I can sit here and tell you now, my mom is free, beyond free, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. The second thing that I believe holds us back is fear. I believe really holds us back is fear. A good friend of mine, Josh, as we grow, grew, growing up together, I met him in a very unlikely way. I didn't choose him to be my friend. My parents did. One day, my parents came home from, from, from church, and I show up, and, and Josh is like a six-foot-four tall white guy, and, and I show up, and there he is in my room, and he says, hi, my name's Josh, my parents said, your parents said I could spend the night in your room, I was like, who are you? I said, wait right here, I went to go, mom, what are you doing? She's like, mijito, he needed a place to stay, and I was like, I don't care, do we know him? She's like, nope, she's like, well, you can get to know him, I was like, whatever, and it started a friendship, and, and Josh, as, as we got to know each other, Josh believed he had a curse on his life and his finances. I was, like, I was like, Josh, you don't have a curse of finances on his life. He's like, bro, I got a curse. I said, man, you, you need to begin to tithe. That's what you need to do. I challenge you to tithe. Come on, we're going to break that curse. And he would try to tithe, and, and he tithed, and he lost, his, he lost his wallet. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? He's like, I don't know. All these crazy things would happen to Josh. And, and after about a year and a half of, of, of dealing with Josh and all his crazy finances and stuff and the fear that he had to let go of that and to trust God with it, he said, he said, Jonathan, you don't understand. I grew up and we did not have money. So every, every bit of money that we had, we held on to just in case. And I told him, I said, that's why you didn't have money. Because you didn't trust the Lord with it. I said, Josh, I'm challenging you right now. We're going on a missions trip in three months. You need to go. He says, it's $500. I said, I don't care. You need to put it together and you need to go on this missions trip. He's like, I don't know. And Josh, at this point in time, was having his wages garnished because of a student loan that was way out of debt. He had gotten a, a, a ticket in Pantigo because he couldn't afford to get his car inspected and had a warrant out for his arrest. He had all these things that were just compounding and piling up on him. Josh is the sweetest dude in the world, but nothing seemed to work out for him. And I began to believe that he had a curse on his life over his finances. Like, all right, maybe you're right. Maybe you do have a curse. I'm going to stay away from you. You drive separate. I don't want that curse to come on me. And so I told him, I said, you need to have the money to go on this mission trip. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. You need to do it. He said, all right, I'm going to do it, Pena. And so he got his 500 bucks. He went to Mexico. We came back, and, and he said, you know what, Lord, man, John, I, I'm going to trust the Lord with this. I'm going to start tithing. The moment he began to tithe, 
He got, he got picked up for his, uh, for his warrant for his arrest. Boom. He's like, look, I told you. I told you. If I begin to tithe, man, this way. I said, Josh, keep tithing. Stay faithful. I can tell you this now, man. Josh is one of the most successfully financial people that I know. Josh, Josh is, hey, the Lord's brought him out of those things. Why? Because he trusted him. He wasn't bound by the fear. He wasn't bound by that. He said, Lord, I'm going I'm to align myself and dedicate myself to you in my finances. And the Lord has blessed him. And the third thing is this right here. Is distractions. I hold this back from being fully dedicated to distractions. Man, we, we get distracted. This is what Pastor Adam always says. From, from Man, the time I've known Pastor Adam, he's always said this. He said, if Satan cannot tempt you with sin, then he'll distract you away from God's purpose. If he can't get you to, to fall into sexual sin or he can't get you to, 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 to fall into, you know, whatever, maybe alcoholism or all this stuff, but he'll get you distracted. Man, he'll take your eyes off the prize and he'll just get you distracted. I had some electrical work done at my house recently. And he said, we need to put you in a dedicated circuit. And I said, why? Why can't we just run off this? He says, because you don't want anything that, is, that would be sucking off the power to what you want to run fully. I was like, man, that's great. He says, yeah, because you don't want to all of a sudden turn on a toaster and it trips all the breakers. He says, you want that to run? Then you need to put a dedicated circuit on it. That's what we have to do. We say, Lord, look, man, I'm getting rid of all distractions. And I'm going after you, those time wasters, the little things in the middle that begin to suck the life out of me. Man, Lord, I'm getting rid of those things, and I'm going after you. I'm dedicating myself 100% to you. And there's three things that I want us to, to, to write down also on the benefits of dedication. See, we know, the, we, we know the things that hold us back, and that is our rights, your right to be angry, your right to be bitter, your right to be scared, all of those things, our fear that hold us back from getting fully what the Lord has for us, and then our distractions, there are things that keep us away from getting and fully dedicating ourselves to God. And there's benefits to what it looks like when you dedicate yourself to the Lord. The first one is this right here, on benefits of total dedication, is number one is great revival. We see in Acts chapter 6, as they dedicated themselves, they saw a great revival. The church grew rapidly, as it says in verse 7. They were already growing. They had already grown immensely. But all of a sudden, they bring in this addition of these seven men who were serving the people. And the church begins to grow rapidly from there. Guys, if we, the benefit of a total dedication, full dedication, it's not being perfect. It's just committing to it and staying committed to it. It's a great revival. We see the Moravians were these people in the 17th century, in 1727, they started a 24-hour-a-day uh, prayer meeting that lasted for 100 years, 24 hours a day in Germany, starting in 1727, it lasted 100 years, they dedicated themselves to prayer for 24 hours a day, each one of them would take an hour of prayer, so they started with 24 men and 24 women, and it grew from there. The Moravians really kind of pioneered uh, uh, what we would kind of look at as modern uh, uh, missionaries. They began to send people. They sent, they sent out over 300 missionaries, as, as it says, to the ends of the earth, to people that were so remote, places that were so remote. They saw a great revival in their midst. John Wesley even encountered these people, the great father of the Methodist movement. And he's on this ship, as it says, and he's sailing back from a failed uh, missions journey, discouraged in the Lord. And, and it, it, as it says, that there's a great squall that came across the ship, and he was, he was scared, and so were the captains and things like that. And they called John Wesley up, knowing he was a man of faith. And they said, pray for us. And he gets up there, and he's praying, and he's all terrified and scared. And on his way back down, he comes across these Moravian people. And they're praying, and, and, and it says that they're singing hymns. 
And he begins to interact with these people, saying, aren't you women and your children scared? And they said, no, I ain't scared to die. And they're singing hymns, and he begins to interact with them and says, why not? He says, because we are full of the Holy Spirit. It changed John Wesley's trajectory from that moment on. See, man, when we begin to dedicate ourselves, we begin to see great revival. Man, in your coworkers, in your family, you begin to see those people, they understand that, man, there's a shift in you, dude, that's different than I've ever seen. And they begin to notice that and say, man, what you have, I want and I need. The second thing is this. It's clarity of God's voice. When we begin to dedicate ourselves to the Lord, we begin to have clarity of God's voice. How many of you guys desire that, man, to understand and hear the Lord 100%? Man, there's moments where I'm like, Lord Jesus, I need to hear you so much clearer. Like, God, look, I need you. Lord, I need to hear you. As we begin to dedicate ourselves to the Lord, there's clarity of God's voice in that. Moments of, well, I don't know what to do. Should I switch jobs or should I not? Man, I don't know what to do in my marriage. It seems to be falling apart. God, I don't know what to do. I need to hear your voice in this moment. A total dedication, a full dedication to the Lord. Man, begins to tune in God's voice. Begin to make it clear in those moments. You're saying, Lord, I'm going after you. I've got rid of all the distractions. Lord, I've let go of the fear of my marriage that is failing. God, I'm trusting you in all of this. Lord, I need to hear you. And in those moments, might not be when you want it, but I guarantee you be when you need it. The clarity of God's voice come piercing through. And all wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, moving forth in confidence and in power. And the third thing is this. The benefits of total dedication is the favor of the Lord. We've all seen those people seem to just have favors. Like, you just got favor. You just got, how do you get that favor? I just dedicate myself to the Lord. I don't know. My grandfather that passed away on December 25th, 2017, was a hero of mine. His name was Ricardo. He planted, he helped plant RGBI, which is a Bible school down in, in, in South Texas. And he planted multiple churches throughout the Rio Grande Valley area in northern Mexico right there. He was, a, he was a missionary church planner for the Mennonite Brethren Church. And a lot of times people look at me and say, your grandfather was a Mennonite? Because typically Mennonite are white people. And so they look at me and say, yeah, man. Yeah, my, I, like a Quaker almost. Like, what? And so, yeah, my grandfather went to a Mennonite school in Kansas, right? And so just all sorts of stuff. If you're going to look at me and say, what? That's crazy. And say, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and there's a lot of Mennonite churches that have been planted all throughout the Rio Grande Valley and, and uh, in Mexico down there. And my grandfather didn't make a lot of money. He, worked, he actually worked 33 years for the Postal Service while he was a full-time pastor. And my dad would go on his rural routes with him as they would drop off mail. And, and he would actually stop and see my mom because my mom's house was one of the drops. And so my grandfather would drop him off. He'd hang out with my mom and then pick him up on the way back. And, and my grandfather didn't make a lot of money. He had seven kids. And, and you know the demand of, of kids and what that looks like. But my grandfather loved to fish. My grandfather so loved, loved, loved to fish. Let me tell you something, the favor of the Lord was so on that man, because he had dedicated himself. He didn't have all the money in the world, but let me tell you, every weekend, my grandfather was on a different boat, on a different fishing trip. He would meet these winter Texans. One of them was a, was a mink farmer who would, who would sell mink furs, who was an extremely wealthy individual. And he'd come down, and every year he'd call him, and they would come down for the latter part of the year, the last quarter of the year. And he'd call him and say, Ricardo, Richard, I'm on my way down, and he's getting the boat ready. We're going to be fishing. And, man, he would be out every weekend. My grandfather had all these people. He's like, how do you know all of these people? He said, man, just, he would just look at me and say, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. He'd always wear these bibs, these fishing bibs. And I, we would always make fun of him because he'd have to, like, unzip them off. He had to go to the restroom. So we'd always make fun of my grandfather. But he always wore this thing. He had a little name patch. And on the name patch, it would say, Jesus is Lord. 
I said, Grandpa, why don't you put your name on it? He says, mijo, he says, because I want them to know that Jesus is my Lord. The favor of the Lord was on that man. Let me tell you something. When there's a full dedication, the favor of the Lord is on you. It doesn't make sense. It, it'll cause others to look at you and say, why you? Just because of my dedication to the Lord. No other reason but by that. Guys, if you would, close your eyes and bow your heads and go all across the room. As we close out today, we talked about a, a full dedication. What that looks like. And I want 2018 to angels in heaven be saying that, oh my gosh, man, the members of church on the hill, man, that they'd be in awe of our dedication. That they'd be in awe of saying, oh my gosh, they went all in. At the end of the year, you'd say, man, it was a, this was a year like none other. And the only explanation for it would be that, man, I just went after God. And it's not about perfection. It's about commitment. It's not about perfection. It's not achieving some kind of lofty goal. It's just about being committed to Him. In the 11 years of marriage, I've been committed to my wife. I've given her no reason to think there was anybody else that my heart was after. It was her and only her. And it will continue to be her and only her. A lot of times, man, in our relationship with the Lord, there's other things that begin to steal our attention begin to take bits of our heart what's calling us back to him he's saying I want every bit of who you are and I want your finances I want your marriage I want your job I want all of those things I want you to trust me and all of that and if you're sitting here today and you say Pastor Jonathan 2017 I wasn't even close to being committed to God or you'd say I've never ever made a commitment to serve Jesus and this morning I want to pray for you you would say well what does that look like Pastor John what, what, praying for me and, and what does that look like oh let me tell you something man 2017 18 years ago a man named Jesus came to the earth he defeated sin death in the grave he bore a cross for you he was put in the grave for three days and rose again he endured all of that for a sinner like you and me. The Bible says that if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, that we would be saved. He said, well, what does saved mean? What does it mean to be saved? To do that, man, you got to understand that there's no way for you to enter heaven but by Jesus. I love my Buddhist friends, they got it wrong. I love my Islamic friends, they got it wrong. There's no way to heaven except through Jesus. If you be honest with yourself, you be honest with me, just where you're at, there's no one looking around. If you say, Pastor Jonathan, I've never asked Jesus in my heart. I've never, I've never said, Jesus, I give you my life. And you'd like to do that this morning. You'd like to make a commitment to God this morning. You see, that's me, Pastor Jonathan. I'm going to give you five seconds. That's you. Just want you to lift your hands. Say, that's me, Pastor Jonathan. Please pray for me. Five, four, three, two. I see your hands. There's a few hands that went up this morning. And so I want everybody here this morning to help me pray this prayer. There's nothing special about the prayer. There's no way you organize the words. There's nothing about that that makes the prayer a special prayer. What matters is how you mean it, how you say it in your heart. 
So if you would all across the room with me this morning as we pray, I want you to, to repeat this after me as we help my friends. Say, Jesus, say, this morning, I give you my life. I pray that right now, you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. I right now commit myself to you. And I'll do my best to serve you all the days of my life. If you would keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for one more minute. And for those of you who would say, Pastor John, that I need help committing to those things, man. I still got fears and distractions and, and, and rights that I'm hanging on to. But I don't want to anymore. Just right where you're at. I want you just to begin to name those things as we pray over you. And just say, Lord, I give you this, and I give you that. And I believe that that same freedom that my mom experienced will be the same freedom that you experience. You'll feel that release in that area. That, that, that the air would be different. That everything would begin to change. That, that life would begin to have color again. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And I thank you for each one of my friends in here this morning. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, for the rights, Lord Jesus, to be angry, to be bitter, the rights to be apprehensive and hurt. And Father God, as they give that over to you, you begin to replace that, Father God, with joy. Lord, as they begin to turn over their finances to you, Lord, you begin to bless them with that. Lord, for the fears that they have, Lord Jesus, I pray, I pray you replace that with confidence, Lord Jesus, and boldness. And for the distractions, Lord Jesus, I pray that you remove all of those, that we have the clarity, Father God, of who you are full of Holy Spirit and full of the wisdom. The Lord, that in 2018, we would see great revival. Lord Jesus, we would see your favor, and Lord, we would hear your voice clearer than ever. Father God, we love you so much, Jesus. We give you this time. We give you this moment. We pray all these things in your precious name.